Welcome to the Diamond in the Rough podcast. Perfection is something that is achieved and not ascribed. Just like the diamond in the rough, everyone is born with potential to be a leader inside of them, but that potential needs to be set free. Sometimes, all it takes is a little bit of pressure to allow the diamonds within us to shine. This inspiring podcast will remind you that even the most brilliant diamonds are formed under pressure. Each episode features educational and inspirational conversations with leaders from the energy industry who will share their stories and the pressures that shape them into the diamond that they are today. The goal is to provide both educational and inspirational podcasts. So hold on into this beautiful ride with me. My name is Stacy. Let's get started. Welcome to the new episode. It is my pleasure to introduce our guest speaker for today, a recently retired geology advisor with 40 years of experience in the oil and gas industry. Ladies and gentlemen, please join me in welcoming Mr. Marcus Saginson. Um, hello everybody and, uh, and welcome to this podcast pleasure to have you joining me today. I guess let's get right into it. Mr. Marcus, you have been in the oil and gas industry for nearly 40 years. Could you give us a brief overview of your career journey from when you first started as a mud logger to your retirement as a geology advisor? Well, it has been quite a journey. If I look back to when I went to university, um, I didn't really have a specific career in mind at the time. I chose to study geology because it was a subject that interested me. And I liked that it involved field work and not just classroom learning. I graduated from my hometown university, Leeds, in 1980. That was a time of high oil prices and companies were recruiting geologists. I was hired by a mudlogging outfit called Gearhart, which is long, long since now defunct as it was bought out by Halliburton in the late 1980s. The job suited me at the time because I didn't fancy being office, office bound and it offered the up prospect of international travel. After two weeks training in Aberdeen, I was sent to work offshore on a North Sea platform. And then a couple of months later, I was posted to Singapore. Over the next four years, I worked on offshore rigs drilling exploration wells in Brunei in China, and an onshore helilift rig in the jungle of Papua New Guinea. Mudlogging was a good introduction to the industry, but limited in terms of work scope and career development opportunities. I therefore decided to return to university and do a master's in petroleum geology at Imperial College, with the objective of taking up a position with an operating oil company afterwards. I completed my master's degree in 1987. The oil price had crashed the previous year, and as a consequence, there were limited opportunities in the industry. I took a number of short-term jobs, which enabled me to keep my foot in the door. I worked as a well site geologist in the North Sea, joined the British Geological Survey for a couple of years as a reservoir geologist, 
and also spent time as a research associate with Harriet Watt University. I eventually secured a position as a production geologist with Shell, working with their UK gas supply group in Lowestoft, which, if you haven't heard of it, is the easternmost town in England. Uh, this was the time, the 1990s, of the UK's so-called ga dash for gas, when power companies were replacing coal-fired electricity generators with gas-fired ones. Gas was seen as a cheaper and cleaner alternative to coal, though it certainly isn't cheap anymore and is no longer considered clean by some. Shell UK managed to double its gas production during this period. My job was to help plan the development of a cluster of fractured reservoirs in the southern North Sea. The producer wells were horizontal multilaterals drilled underbalanced in order to minimise formation impairment. After five years with Shell UK, I took an overseas assignment in Brunei, where I was subsurface team lead for the eastern sector of the, of the giant Surya field. Because onshore well costs were relatively low, we were able to try a number of novel technologies. One of these was a fishhook well, in which the reservoir section was drilled uphill at a deviation of greater than 90 degrees. This was done to enable development of offshore fault blocks from an onshore location at a much lower cost than offshore drilling. As a team lead, I was involved in project and manpower planning, but found that these aspects of the job didn't really excite me. I found geological work much more rewarding and therefore decided that I would stick with a technical role as a geologist rather than progressing into management. After further postings with Shell in the Netherlands, India and Norway, in 2012 I was offered a job with Murphy in Kuala Lumpur. A former Shell colleague had decided to move on and kindly recommended me for his position with Murphy Oil. This was an opportunity to be involved in Kike. Malaysia's first deep water development, so I jumped at the offer. I was also involved in Murphy's other deep water assets and acted as a mentor to younger Malaysian staff, a role that I very much enjoyed. Last year, after nearly 40 years in the oil and gas industry, I felt I was due for a break, so I decided to retire from full-time work. I've since been busy hiking in the Yorkshire Dales, renovating my house in Harrogate, and doing occasional consultancy work to keep my hand in. Congratulations on your recent retirement, uh, Mr. Marcus. When you think about your career, what's the biggest lesson you learned in your career about business or oil and gas in general? Well, I certainly lived, learned to live with a degree of uncertainty regarding the future, having survived several oil price, price collapses and redundancy rounds. I think we just have to accept that this is the cyclical nature of the business that we work in. I've found that better times are usually just around the corner. You were involved in Kike, um, Malaysia's first deep water development, as well as Murphy's other deep water assets offshore Sabah and Brunei. Tell us about your experience and some of the um, major challenges of Sabah deep water development. I was involved in the second phase of Kike development. One of the major challenges we had was uh, it was improving production and recovery from thin bedded reservoirs, in which individual sand beds are typically less than a foot thick. 
The field's initial island place was split roughly 50-50 between thick, blocky and thin-bedded sands. In the early development wells, blocky and thin-bedded reservoirs were produced commingled. However, subsequent pressure data indicated low recovery from the thin beds. In order to improve this situation, we drilled a series of dedicated thin bed producer and water injection wells. We were able to achieve economic rates of up to 5,000 barrels a day from the thin bed producers, some of which were drilled as high angle wells with long open hole gravel packs to maximize sand face exposure and well productivity. There are still significant prospective and undeveloped, uh, undeveloped discovered oil resources in Savadeep water. Most of this oil is in thin-bedded reservoirs. Experience from Kike has demonstrated that high production rates may be achieved from thin beds. However, it was also found in Kike that connectivity for these reservoirs was poorer than expected, resulting in limited pressure support from flank water injectors. The key challenge for further development will be recovering an economic oil volume for each production well. Novel well designs may be an enabler to increase the connected volume per well. One approach could be fishhook or snake high angle wells, providing multiple intersections of each reservoir sand, so that each well in effect acts as more than one drainage point. The U-shaped or fishhook design has successfully been applied in Kike. It might also be possible to lower well costs by completing wells with expandable sand screens rather than gravel packs. The first phase of Kike wells were completed in this way. Although some of these whale wells failed after, after water breakthrough, the design may be viable for smaller fields producing via depletion with no water injection. The idea of de-risking new deep water fields by early production from an appraisal well has also been mooted. This will provide data on reservoir connectivity before committing to a full development, an early revenue if the oil is produced to a barge. This phased approach has sometimes been referred to as the hummingbird concept, but I'm not sure if, whether anyone has actually put it into practice yet. Despite the high capital requirements, technology has allowed industry to develop in ever deeper water to successfully add to energy supplies. In your opinion, uh, Mr. Marcus, why do companies um, continue to pursue deep water projects all around the globe? Um, I think because many of the remaining large prospects and undeveloped fields are in deep water. I worked for Shell for 16 years, which was a company that was geared towards executing major projects. In line with this, their exploration was focused on finding large discoveries, or big cats as they were dubbed. Many of the bigger prospects and subsequent discoveries were made in deep water, which was underexplored compared to the continental shelves. So deep water provided a good opportunity for implementing major projects on high value assets. I guess that the situation is similar for the other oil majors. Many young people have really bad misconceptions about the oil and gas industry. What do you think um, the opportunities are for the younger generation in oil and gas? And what advice would you give them today, Mr. Marcus? Well, during my lifetime, the oil and gas industry has generally received negative press coverage. 
usually focusing on bad incidents such as the Deepwater Horizon, or more recently on concerns regarding climate change. Nevertheless, oil and gas are a major contribute to the world's energy mix, and will continue to be so for at least the near to medium term. We're heavily dependent on hydrocarbons, not only for energy, but as the source material for many everyday items. If you look around any room, you're almost guaranteed to see oil-derived products. For aspiring engineers and geoscientists, the oil and gas business still offers some exciting career options, with the opportunity to be involved in technical, technologically leading-edge projects. In my case, it's also given the opportunity to travel and experience different cultures. So I would say that oil and gas is still a career option worth considering. Be prepared for a bumpy ride, however. The future of the industry has always been a bit uncertainty, with volatile oil prices, political uncertainty in some places, and job security not always guaranteed. In retrospect, what are some of the um, life challenges and pressures in your life that helped shape you into the diamond that you are today? Well, looking back at my career, there were a number of periods that I found difficult. In my first job as a mudlogger, I didn't adapt easily to life on the rigs. Mudloggers at the time were poorly paid and consequently considered to be at the bottom of the pecking order. I was working with people from very different backgrounds. For example, on the first rig I went to in the North Sea, the entire, the entire rig crew of drillers and roughnecks were from Louisiana and had been flown in. It was important to try and get along with everyone even if they had a very different perspective on life, and also important not to be thin-skinned. Initially, I wasn't particularly competent at the job I was doing, as I'd only had two weeks training. I discovered that you actually learn most from making mistakes, even though this may be painful at the time. Finding employment in the tough job market of the late 1980s to early 90s was frustrating. I learnt the value of perseverance. It was important not to take job rejections personally. Many companies simply had no vacancies, or if they did, there were many applicants. It wasn't until I reached my 40s that I managed a satisfactory work-life balance. Early on in my career, I would take on every task I was assigned and sometimes volunteer for more. Once I had a family, I learned how to prioritize and decline or defer less important tasks in particular things that appeared to be arbitrary corporate targets. This didn't always go down well, but time with your family is the most important. Your kids are only young once. My next challenge in life is to figure out what to do during retirement. Absolutely. Um, perhaps it is not retirement, but rather transitioning to a new chapter. Thank you, Mr. Marcus, for sharing your valuable 40 years of life and career experience as a guide and inspiration to others. Okay, thank you for inviting me to do the, the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Diamond in the Rough podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, comment and stay tuned for the next episode.
Remember that even the most brilliant diamond was formed under pressure. Be that diamond that thrives under pressure and shines brilliantly.